Welcome to this week's edition of Dugout Dish Podcast. I'm joined by my co-host, Keith Glasser, as usual. Keith, how you doing? Great. How are you? Good. Looking forward to this episode. We've got a special guest, someone we've both known for a long time. So I'm going to kick it over to you for the intro. Sure. Um, Tonight we are uh, joined by a former competitor of mine. Um, We would go back and forth multiple times on scheduling 8,000 games a year, Um, but we would always end up playing at RPI. I don't think I ever made it up to you guys, Um, but unfortunately, I wish I did. Um, but a good friend of a good friend of ours and a, a, a really good baseball coach and a, a heck of a human being. But tonight we're joined by Middlebury head coach Mike Leonard. Mike, how are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me on, guys. This is a ton of fun to see you both in, in this setting. Uh, two of my favorite people to see uh, on the road recruiting and in the opposing dugout when it when it happened. So it's cool to be back with you guys. Thanks for having us, or thanks for being uh-huh. on. I should say thanks yeah, for thanks uh, joining us. Really appreciate you, John. But the before we get going, just uh, just give the listeners a, a rundown of how you've ended up at Middlebury as the head coach. Yeah, so I would say like inc- incredibly fortunate. I mean, I absolutely feel like I, I hit a home run in terms of where I am now. So so love being at the high academic Division three level. Um, my playing career kind of kicked kickstarted my coaching career. I think like most of us, you know, there was there was a time when we were players which used to be not that long ago, but now is uh, getting up there in years. So I grew up in the state of Connecticut and went over to UConn. I was fortunate enough to play there for four years, um, you know, for for great coaches and had a, had a really good career and then had a chance to kick around the minor leagues a little bit until, uh, as I put out, it hit my way into coaching. It was pretty obvious once I started playing at that level that uh, professional baseball was going to be short-lived given my hitting ability and um, what was cool about that experience, I think, you know, as I talk about, you know, how I got into coaching, I was able to be both players. I was able to be kind of the, you know, starting catcher, middle of the lineup, um, scholarship guy at a D1 school and, and had that identity. And then I was a non-draft free agent with the Red Sox. So got to be kind of the walk on the last person on the organizational depth chart, uh, the person who was never factored into kind of the long-term plans of being a prospect. So once my playing career ended, I went and decided to pursue a master's up at St. Lawrence University, which connects the two of us, you know, even further with uh, Liberty League stuff. Um, Had a really cool experience there and worked for a tremendous person in Tom Fay, who kind of first showed me this role of kind of coach, educator, mentor, teacher. Um, And I was like, that seems like a great way to to make a profession, uh, to kind of engage in the profession where you can kind of like make an impact on the lives of your your athletes in a completely different way than maybe I thought possible given, you know, just, you know, what I knew of baseball. Um, it, it was pretty awesome to see, you know, him and his role and the way that, you know, past players would come back and and connect with him and connect with one another. So that really kind of showed me that I wanted to coach. And I think the division three level was a perfect fit. Um, after St. Lawrence, I went to Elms college and spent one year there and then six years at Bates college. And, made the move from, from Lewiston, Maine to, to Middlebury, Vermont, which, uh, you know, was, was cool to kind of like stay in conference. Cause I do think NESCAC does a, a number of, you know, outstanding things, but feel like Middlebury was just a, a perfect match for me and my values. And, you know, I think the ceiling for the program was, was really, really high and untapped when I took over. Um, and that was an exciting opportunity to kind of take 
what I learned at Bates, what I learned as a player, what I learned from, you know, being an assistant coach under Coach Faye um, and, and put that into work. And I think we've done some cool things so far. Absolutely. I haven't heard Coach Faye's name in a long time. He's a, he was a fantastic guy. It was always good to to run into him in the dugout. He always had some wisdom to drop. And yeah. it was just always, always incredibly nice, um, you know, as a young coach to have a guy who'd been around the game that long. I mean, he had the, the field was named after him, right? For sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I was fortunate enough to kind of like be there towards the end of his career. So I think there was just some like real freedom um, for me to work and him to trust me with, you know, learning stuff before I really knew how to coach at all. Um, but also the experience that he had had over those years, it was, it was, you know, clear that he had done it for a very long time and had, had a ton of knowledge to, like you said, wisdom. I think it's a good word to describe him. Um, so, yeah. yeah. We had Coach Rossi on last week, and I coached with him for two and a half years. But it's a similar situation where, like, it's somebody who's just been doing it for so long and, like, legitimately loves coaching and teaching even the coaches in the freedom you have as a young coach with a guy like him. <laughs> it's unmatched. I think for, like, because I don't really think they, they – I, I shouldn't say I don't know. I don't know if it happens anymore, but I don't know if it happens. It certainly doesn't happen the frequency I think that it used to when, you know, we kind of came up in this game with – with guys like that, you know, like Rossi, Coach Rossi's forgotten more than I know. Baseball, <laughs> I mean, fifty-four years. <laughs> totally, yeah. And, and I mean, I think for me at least, I mean, I think the way that I look at, you know, into the future and say what kind of career do I want to have, I think those are the type of figures that that I I want to emulate. I think that stability of being in one place for a really long time, having just you know alums and then alums kids that come back and play for you and just have that connection to a school uh i think that's pretty special to be able to say that you know that many people can call you coach and to have done it that long and um yeah it's 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 cool like you said to get that experience where someone kind of trusts you to take over but i think one of the pieces that's been you know, good and bad in my career is I haven't really had that experience as an assistant coach, um, you know, to really work under somebody for a really long time. So I've done a lot of stuff wrong, I think, as a head coach. <laughs> and I think if I'm, you know, to give myself any credit for skills that I do have, I think I'm pretty reflective and do a pretty good job of figuring out what I messed up uh, and how to do it differently next time. So all these years as a head coach has given me plenty of opportunities to screw some stuff up, but um, I think I've learned a lot through it. Yeah, you know, I used to, I said this when I first got that job, like it's, it's far different sitting in that seat, being the head coach than it is being the assistant. Like you, you could talk about it all you want, but like until you actually live it, like you, it's hard to kind of quantify an experience. But I distinctly remember in 2019, when we first start, when I it was my first year as a head coach, and I had Chris Ferris was my assistant coach, he was just fresh out of pro ball. And he was like, forgive me he said something to me and i was like listen man like i'm gonna screw things up here and he like the look on his face was like well you can't screw up i'm like bro i've never done this before like yeah. have we ever been in a city like i'm going to do things wrong like i i like yeah i know what i'm doing but i don't know everything like i'm going to screw up like it's gonna happen just it, it's okay you're going to screw up as a sister you've never coached before it's okay to screw up like don't worry about it we just we learn from it as we go, you know, and I think like being able, at least for me, and I, I you know, I, I don't want to take up too much time, but like learning from guys like coach Rossi and maybe you with coach Faye, like you learn like, Hey, I'm on my own. 
And if I screw up, like, you know, you don't have somebody who's going to like bury you for making a mistake. It's like, Hey, what happened? Let's work through this and figure out what we may have done differently. And you start to realize like you're being coached just as much as they're coaching the players too, which I, you know, I'm forever grateful for, um, you know, but I, I think that like being able to at least know like, Hey, I'm going to screw up and it's okay. Like it, it, it starts to make you a better coach in my opinion. Yeah, I agree completely. All right. So we'll get into this first question. We always ask everyone, we'll kick it off. How do you find your players at Middlebury? Yeah. I feel like every time I've been asked this question, I, I answer in what feels like a rambling way, but I think the long and short of it is there's not like a clear cut um, answer to it. Right. I think every, every player has a different recruiting story and there's a different process with every player. But I guess I can bucket into a couple of different ways. I think there are players who we learn about from first contact from them. You know, they reach out, they're interested in the school that they are interested in the program and they make initial outreach. And we will, you know, try to reply to every single kid. I think it's something that I've tried to do over my career is make sure everyone gets like a connection or response. And it could be as simple as like, make sure you've completed our questionnaire. So we have your information in the database and then from there, it becomes a process of how do we learn more about that player, right? We have initial interest. We have a blanket email. It might include a video, it might include a transcript. It might include a reference, you know, uh, oh, you know, you work with, you know, Keith and Andy, like two good friends. Let me reach out to them. Let me see, see what this kid's all about. Um, one of my, you know, best recruiting stories is a kid who just graduated from Middlebury. Alex Price was our, you know, four-year ace you know conference pitcher of the year last year school record for strikeouts and i'm literally sitting at my desk being like man we really need a left-handed pitcher in this class and it's like late october and i just haven't been able to yield anybody and it's like email comes into my inbox and his two references are josh mcdonald from uconn and alex treza at boston college i'm like sweet i played a summer ball season with treza we're good friends j mac was one of my teammates at uconn i'm gonna call both of them right now and both of them are like you're an idiot if you don't recruit this kid immediately. So it's like, sweet. Um, I think the other pathway is like, we see kids somewhere on the road, right? We see them at a tournament. We see them at a showcase. We see them somewhere and we're interested in them. So I think we make that initial outreach. And then it's a matter of learning about the student. And I think the, the really interesting stories are the ones that are somewhere in between, right? I think, you know, the coaching world is really small. Um, I think as a division three school, there's a lot of schools above us, you know, so we're very comfortable building those relationships with, you know, division one schools and talking with them and saying, Hey, are there any players that you've seen? Cause you've got more assistance and more resources, you know, anybody we should be on. And sometimes it's recommendations from other coaches. Um, and then I think, there's there's become a bigger group of athletes that are working with people that are kind of supporting them and advising them throughout the process because it's such a complicated process that changes every single year that changes like every six months it feels like so i think there's you know a lot of people doing it and you learn really quickly who are the people that you like and that you trust and that you know are really straight with you and i think those are people that you lean on um, because you can really get to, uh, you can filter through the process in a much simpler way. Um, cause I think the two ways that I mentioned at the beginning with finding players, it's, it's long, it's, it's tedious. It's, you know, you get 10,000 emails and like some of them got sent to a thousand schools and you have no idea if the kid's even interested and you go see a, a kid at a game and you really like them, you have no idea if they're an academic fit, if they're a character fit, or if they even have an interest in, in your school. 
So you have to filter through a lot of that where sometimes if you can kind of get to the middle and you, you know, talk with somebody that you trust, Hey, I got this kid. I met with him. He's a great kid, really good family, you know, academic minded, um, you know, here's kind of the list of schools. I think you guys would be a good match. Sometimes that helps make the process a little bit more efficient. Um, so kind of like, you know, all those different avenues, but I would say always ongoing, um, never a straight line from, I want to start here and get to Middlebury. What's the, what's the ladder I need to climb. It's always a puzzle that we're putting together and it's a dynamic process. Yeah, for sure. We asked this question to coach Traz at army. And I'd be curious to get your thoughts on it. Cause one of the things that we were curious about is like, do you go find kids who want to be in the army and then find out who's good at baseball or do you do baseball and then convince them about the army? Obviously Middlebury is one of the elite schools in the country and the academics to get in, it's incredibly, incredibly rigorous. And you're picking from kind of the top of the food chain academically and you hit on it a little bit. Do you start with academics and then baseball, or do you find guys you think are good enough to play for you and then sort out the academics after? Yeah, I think we we operate under the assumption that if they're entertaining a, a call for us from us, or if they're you know um, reaching out to us, that academics are a priority. So rather than lead with that, we're gonna we're gonna start off with the assumption that like academics are are important, right? And what we try to say you know throughout it is like once you've checked the academic box at you know that top ten percent, that top five percent of schools academically. Right. The differentiator becomes the, the person. Right. So what you do with that degree upon graduation and then where we come in and this is where I always try to lead is like I'm responsible for our baseball program. Right. That's what I have like the most control over. I'm I'm not teaching, you know, our psych classes or our economics classes. So I'm going to really talk with, with students about how Middlebury differentiates itself from others because of what I am able to control, which is our baseball experience and try to talk to them about like what their long-term goals are, what their skills are, what their hopes are um, for their college experience. And then talk to them about, you know, how I view my role and what our program values are and, and where baseball kind of fits into the bigger picture. And I think we're always threading a needle, right? I think we're trying to identify players where baseball is very important. It's a huge part of their life. Um, but at the same time, like they're not willing to, you know, compromise on the academic side of things, you know, just to play baseball. And yet they're not so married to the level of baseball that like choosing a D division three school feels like they're kind of in some ways, you know, compromising, you know, their, their love of the game or their passion for the game. Um, so you're just trying to find kind of that sweet spot where I think players value kind of the full experience um, and are in tune to kind of what, you know, we value, um, as, as a coaching staff. Um, but I do think the academic piece, I think has to be kind of understood at the forefront because, uh, there's, there's, you know, nothing that wastes anybody's time, you know, either direction quite as much as having kind of like a, a misalignment of kind of that academic profile. Understood. Understood. When you're sifting through recruits, right, we get asked this question a lot, and it's always good to hear you, the coaches' thoughts, the guys who are making these decisions. Do you pay a lot of attention to PBR rankings and some of kind of the baseline uh, metrics that they get at the event? Like, how does that factor into how you evaluate and how you recruit? 
Yeah. I mean, I think I'm a big believer in like all information has value, right? So I don't think we're going to solely use any one source as like gospel and that's going to like guide our decision on, on a student. But I do think that like all of them have value. I think data points are value. I think, you know, you certainly, you know, want to have something that's quantifiable. So I think when there's like a third party that kind of puts a, a rating on a player like that is in reference to other players that they've rated. Right. And, and when they collect data, whether it's, you know, blast or track man or, you know, anything um, velocity wise, like you're going to have a data point on a player. What we always want to, do on our part is then try to figure out where's like the qualitative data in that, right? Like what can we see with our eyes? What do we get when we like talk to that player? Um, what might we see when the player's playing in a game that matters, that actually has a scoreboard and not a time limit um, or, you know, is, is a team that they've been, you know, competing with and training with all year, you know, like their high school team. Um, how are they going to perform in that environment versus, the showcase environment or the training environment. So I think those are the things that we're trying to do as coaches is try to project how that skill set is going to align and match our program. So I'm a big believer in trying to just get as much information as possible. Um, hopefully it doesn't conflict because then it makes for a really tough, you know, recruiting decision when you see a player really good. And then you look at some of their, you know, profile stuff online and be like, wait a minute, they misread the gun at the event I went to because like the best thing they've ever done is like 10 miles an hour different. Um, so I, I think that there's value in it, but I think you need to do your due diligence. You know, I, I love getting on the phone and calling certain people that I, that I trust and just say, Hey, have you, have you seen this guy? I mean, uh, again, just, you know, with the, with the UConn coaches, like if there's a kid from Connecticut, I, my first call is always to them be like, do you know anything about this kid? Um, Cause it's just people that I trust that are usually like really direct with me on it. Um, and there's a bunch of those people out there for me that I'll rely on as kind of that cross check or second look at a kid. Cause we're, you know, at times recruiting players that we haven't seen live, right. It just isn't possible, right. We, we, we know about them. We've been in touch and just only seen them on video or there's someone we've only seen live once. Um, and it was in a showcase, right. We didn't see them in their high school game. So I think we're always trying to collect other pieces of information to try to really learn about a player and make the best decision we can. Um, Cause I'm always of the belief that it, it's more about what they do when they're here than how good they are before they get here. Um, Cause it's our job to find, you know, people who can fit into our environment can make our team better or are going to really come in wanting to be good teammates and wanting to train and work. Um, and, and you can take two, two players with, you know, similar skill set. one, maybe even a little bit better, but if one is really like, again, bought in and aligned with what we're doing, they're going to, they're going to thrive and, and have a great career. Um, whereas the other player might not just cause it's a, you know, there's something that's a disconnect. Yeah. I think the, the one thing, two things that uh, one, I'm going to ask a question, but the one thing that I think you touched on that I, I don't think a lot of people really, um, outside of our business really understand is how connected uh, a lot of the coaches are, um, you know, where it really only is going to take one or two phone calls for you to get a, a legitimate evaluation on a kid from, it's going to take you one phone call mm -hmm. to get a legitimate um, evaluation on a kid from Connecticut, from somebody that you trust. 
Um, you know, we all have all, all of us who've coached, like you have guys that you trust, you know, so it, it only takes one, maybe two phone calls to be like, all right, yeah, I need to be recruiting this kid or eh, I, I don't, you know, maybe what I saw was his best, but I'm going to follow up, you know, again, um, you know, but what my like along, I'm going to pull a thread here, but along the same lines of like talking to people that you might not know, like you got a kid reached out, he has some recommendations on there and you call like, how important is it to you to get like an honest evaluation from like a summer coach or a high school coach, whatever it is. It could be anything from the personality to the, his skill set ability. Yeah. I mean, I think that the, the best we'll, we'll reach out to all of them. Right. And I think there's, I think the challenge becomes in it is like you only need to get burned once as a coach to like not want to pick up that that phone again, right? It's like there's nothing worse than the high school coach who calls you and says, "Oh, this is this is the best kid. I mean, he can play in your program," and then you see him to showcase, and you're like, "I'm not sure this is a college level player," and and here you are recommending him as someone who's going to immediately impact my program. Um, it's going to be really hard for me to take that phone call again. Um, you know, some of the best ones to deal with are ones that like almost like undersell their players. They're like, yeah, you know, I think he's really good. And, but heck, I don't know, you know, and then you see him and you're like, coach, this kid would be like our best recruit. Um, so I think you always want to pick up the, the phone and call those people. Um, I think the high school coaches, you know, are really fun to talk to because some of them you're calling, they're like, wow, you're the first college coach that's ever called me. Right. Cause there's kind of turnover in, in the high school world. And then you get the other end, the guys that have done it for a really long time, like, called a high school coach the other day who's, you know, Hall of Fame, ABCA high school coach. And is like, people don't do this enough. You know, I, I love that you called. And, you know, here's what I think about him compared to the other 90 college players I've had in my career. Um, so those calls are fun, too. You know, I think the travel baseball thing, I think, is really complicated. I think, you, you know, you you have like mixed um, mixed interests, you know, in mind with certain programs. I think some of them it's you know, they're, they're trying to market their players or try to get them placed and they're trying to get them placed at certain schools for certain reasons. And then you get some really good ones too. You know, you get some really good people in the travel ball world that that call you and shoot you straight and you talk to them every year. Um, and you have a really honest conversation. So I think it's like anything in life, you know, it's, it's, it's relationships. You've got the range of people that are out there. Um, but I'm someone that always wants to have those phone calls. And, and I think that there are some really, really cool people that I've connected with and built some awesome connections with just through kind of the recruiting piece. And I call them every single year on guys and we might not even get one of their players. Um, it might be 10 years before we get one of their players. You know, there, there's one coach, um, you know, Mike Grant at Belmont Hill. We talked every year when I was at Bates and it was so six years at Bates, six years at Middlebury you know, never had one of his players until like currently we have one of his players. So it was like 12 years of just every year, like, Hey, here's who I got. These are my college level players. I don't know where they're going to end up. I'm pretty sure they're all going to play in college at some level. And it was just like such a really refreshing conversation. Um, and you weren't even yielding them for, for a number of years, but it was just, I think the process was, you know, of talking with him was, you know, really good. And there's a bunch of, you know, people like that, that I've had, you know, the, the pleasure of getting to know. Yeah, the you know I, I found this. I had a similar situation with a, a school when I was at RPI. It took, I think, six years for us to finally land one of their guys. But it was the same conversation every year. Like, hey, who do you got that you know is? And you know, for me, obviously, like you know, engineering was a lot more 
you know, niche, you know, like, yeah, I got college guys, but he wants to be a history major. Like, okay. Um, he's not coming here. Um, you know, but I, I think being able to, you know, one, the amount of, uh, of effort that goes in on, on coaching staff's behalf to, to really try to, you know, get to the bottom of whether or not that kid's going to be able to fit into your program and help you win is a lot more, it's the unseen part of coaching that a lot of people don't see. And especially kids who are going through the process and families that like, they're going to do coaches are going to reach out to your coaches to see what they have to say. And, you know, there's a lot more that goes into it from that standpoint that, um, you know, I, I just think that people should be, a little bit more aware of when, when you get to that point. Um, you know, you kind of mentioned it earlier, and I, I'm going to ask a little bit of a different question, but, you, you know, you kind of mentioned that you saw kind of some online profiles and stuff. Like, you know, how much do you guys use social media from a recruiting standpoint, you know, in your program? I am very much a dinosaur when it comes to social media. I have like a LinkedIn account that, basically just sits there that I have never posted anything on. Um, so I don't, I don't have my own, you know, Twitter or X, Facebook, you know, Instagram, like don't operate any of it as an individual, as a program, we, we do have accounts, you know, there. And I would say I've kind of started to make that part of my assistant coaches work. And I think, you know, you have a, a young 26 year old who's grown up with, uh, you know, a cell phone in their hands and very comfortable kind of in that space. Um, and I think we have seen a huge improvement in like our initial connection to students through some of that social media messaging. Uh, and you certainly can find a lot of content on there. So, you know, he, he's always laughing at me when he'll like send me a video that someone posted on their, on their account. And I'm like, I, I, can't watch it because I'm not logged in right now. He's like, you need to get like a burner account where you can just like log in. And I'm like, it's not so much about like, you know, needing a burner account. It's just like, I haven't had that as part of my life. So like, personally, it feels really good to have like that space, um, not occupied by social media, but I do think there's a lot of value in it from a recruiting standpoint. So we, we've done it, you know, um, more so this year than I think any other year where we we've seen kids and, uh, been able to connect with them, you know, through social media platforms. So I, I don't think it's going to go the other direction where it'll start to become obsolete. If anything, you know, emails becoming like the handwritten notes of, of before. Um, so we'll continue to be there, but it, it's, it's something that I think I've, you know, try to trust some of my assistants with maybe some of that initial connection and, and where we we've gone from there is like, I think they're able to see the video. They're able to connect the kid. Is there an interest? What are your grades? Like, Hey, you should talk to our head coach. Um, and I think that's been like a really helpful part of the process in kind of finding new players, engaging with players a little bit differently. Um, and just making my interactions with them, I think more impactful, you know, cause it's, you know, not nothing worse than a 17 year old trying to be polite to some coach. Like, dude, I got no interest in talking to you. I don't even know where this school is. Um, you know, it's a little bit easier for them just to like ignore a text message or a direct message. Uh, and then it doesn't waste anybody's time. You've talked a bunch about character, about fit, about a kid's long-term goals. Um, what are some of the interactions maybe some of the gameplay stuff that cues you into whether a kid's going to be a fit or could be a, bit, a fit for middlebury and then maybe on the other side of that 
you know, for I think it's important for people to hear the other side of it too. Is what are some of the things that you that might tip you off as a red flag that they may not be a fit for for Middlebury? Yeah, I mean, one of my favorite questions to ask, you know, kids when I meet with them is I'll ask them, "Hey, what would your teammates say about you?" And it, not your teammates that are your classmates. What would the freshman and sophomore on your team say about you? And you can, you know, see instantly the kid that goes, "Oh, uh, I never really thought of that." And I hope you don't ask them. Um, and then you have the other players that are like right there, being like, "Oh, you know what? Like, I've actually made a really concerted effort to be a really good leader on my team." And part of being a good leader is actually connecting with players that are younger than me. And especially as a high school athlete, I think the gap between a senior and a freshman in high school is a lot bigger than the gap between a freshman in college and a senior in college in terms of just like, you know, physical maturation, emotional maturation, social maturation. It's, it's a big difference. And I think the impact you can have as, as a high school junior and senior when you, when you operate a little bit differently, um, that says a lot to me. So I often want to just get to know um them and how they see their role as a teammate right so how are you currently operating as a teammate how do you plan to operate as a teammate here right i'll also ask them like how are we better if you're in our program uh and kids who jump straight to well well i throw hard and i hit the ball pretty hard like that doesn't really impact at any level for me but when they can talk about things that they're willing to contribute in terms of how they communicate or how they motivate or how they're willing to work um what they plan to do kind of like when no one's looking right the way that they're gonna just be a good citizen uh i think those are things that really resonate with me um I do really like it when players are kind of like refreshingly, um, I guess just honest in the, in the process. I I think I I enjoy that like 16 and 17 year olds, like don't have stuff figured out yet. Right. They shouldn't have the answers to the test already. They haven't been like rehearsing for this recruiting interview. So there's like some, just like, honest awkwardness that comes with it you know sometimes i'll, I'll talk to my assistants be like what'd you like about him like he just seemed kind of like a regular high school kid um and it sometimes that means it's a little unpolished um and i think to me that that shows kind of like just authenticity in, in who they are um some of the things that i think are a huge turnoff are, are certainly players that um misconstrue what it means to play college baseball they're kind of really excited about the idea of the process so they want to first start off by telling you how many schools have offered them uh and how many people they've been on the phone with and i think they do that as a way to kind of validate their own self-worth or potentially just because the process is so exciting um i i much rather like to get to like why do you want to play college baseball what do you think college baseball is and how is it different from what you're doing now um i also can totally acknowledge that like as someone who's kind of crafting and and you know an architect of the recruiting process because of how we find players some of it does lend itself to being super selfish and being you know um me driven because that's how you get recruited right as you separate yourself from everyone else in the field and in a showcase there is no scoreboard there's no team there's no you know trying to do it for the good of the guy you know who's, who's next to you in the dugout but yet we want players who are going to embody and value that when they get there um so you have to dig a little bit you know and, and ask them about things um 
you know, one of, one of my favorite kids that, that we've recently recruited just like talked about kind of the, the competitive piece and just wanting to be around other people and make other people, um, push themselves to get to a level that they didn't think they could get to otherwise. And, and to me, that's like the magic of, of being on a team, right. Is, you know, you, you two can relate as, you know, former players, you go and try to motivate yourself to work out or lift or, or stay in shape by yourself. And you're like, that's terrible compared to being on a team where like, you've got 25 or 30 of your best friends doing the same thing. It like makes you look right and left and kind of push yourself to a different level. That's hard to get to by yourself. Um, and some players are in tune to that and some aren't. Um, so I think we look for opportunity, you know, do players have that? Are they doing that already? And if they're not, are they excited by the shift in the environment? You know, are they are they excited about like that jump from the high school, the recruiting to this is what I want out of college. Like I really want like good relationships with my teammates. I want other people to push me. I want to, you know, learn new things and grow and develop and kind of that eagerness. Um, and, you know, there's, there's a piece to it that's super subjective, right? College kids, when they're making visits, will report just like it felt like the right fit and, and they can't, you know, contextualize what that is. But you, you know it when you feel it. And I think it's it's the same with players we recruit. Sometimes it's, it's a match. Yeah, there's a really good connection with this player. I think they'd be an awesome fit. Um, and other times it's just like, yeah, I just didn't get much from that conversation. You know, so for me, it's always really important. Those, those on-campus meetings, um, I think spending time with players and their families and, and trying to get to understand them as best you can. Uh, cause there is that aspect of fit that is mutual. Um, and you want there to be fit and we spend a lot of time together. Oh, that's a, a, a fantastic effort answer and incredibly well put. I think wanting to put in the work, wanting to be challenged is, uh, I think it's an important thing to put in context. Me and Keith were just talking about this before we got on about college baseball isn't exactly what a lot of people think it is. And there's a ton of commitment that comes with it. And there's a competitiveness to it and being a part of something that's bigger than yourself and being able to push yourself and understanding the amount of time that is required for you to excel. And obviously, if you go to a school like Middlebury, you're dealing with kids that in theory, should be wanting to excel at the highest level across everything they do. And I think it's something that you've touched on multiple times so far is the idea of the whole experience and that you're a student and you're an athlete and you're a teammate um, and being able to weave that all together and understand that the four years that you get to spend on campus, yeah, baseball is a really big part of it, but there's a ton of things that you get out of it um, that are a little bit less tangible than I get to put on a uniform. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, one of the things that is, it continues to be fun for me about a coach is like the human element to coaching, right? I think you can start to collect data and put training plans together. And I think all of that is good. And I work with a clientele of athletes who are really, really good at following directions and blueprints, right? That's, that's what they did to get themselves to a school like Middlebury. So if we lay out a training plan, like I know that they're going to execute that training plan. What my job has become is, is more of like filtering that information and framing where they should be spending their energy. And I think athletes are really good at gravitating towards the things that are 
comfortable, easy, the things that they like doing, right? A really strong kid in the weight room wants to lift more weights. What does he not want to do? He probably doesn't want to do mobility stuff. He probably doesn't want to do things with, you know, lighter weight that are kind of more um, stability-based or, or isolating kind of more on the prehab end because it's not as fun for him as putting a bunch of plates on and, and moving around, you know, and you have hitters that like want to just, you know, a power hitter, what does he want to do? He wants to take BP and see how far he can let the ball, you know, fly. He's not really jacked up when we make him do like a power oppo ground ball round where he's got to hit the ball through the four hole, um, you know, as hard a ground ball as he can. Cause like, it's hard for him to do and it's not as fun. And I think having to frame those things um, for people who are also balancing their social life, their academic life, their personal lives, like they're bringing all that with them and trying to perform. Um, and we are very rarely in a situation where we have kids that we're trying to like drag into the weight room and into the, the, the facility to hit. And we're also fortunate where we're not like tracking them down to make sure they go to class. Like they literally want to do everything and they want to please everyone. And, you know, this imbalance of like, you have a hundred percent of yourself, you can't give a hundred percent of yourself to two things at the same time. Like something's got to give. And how do you manage that? How do you kind of process that piece? When is it okay to like take some time off or dial back? That's honestly more of my job than just, you know, trying to like force them to take more swings. It's, it's, it's framing, you know, an efficient round and, and giving kids permission to, Hey man, take a day off. You know, it'd be cool to, if you did today, go for a walk and then go to sleep early tonight. That might be the best way for you to train because you've lifted six days in a row. Um, and, and that's, you know, a, a lot, of, a lot of the piece. And then the, the human aspect, I think that the training, we've gotten really good at training athletes. I mean, you can just see it in velocity. I mean, it, it's crazy. I mean, thinking about when you guys played and, and when I played, if, if someone through 90 that you like knew their name, cause it was like, not many people did that. And if someone through 95, it's like, you knew them all across the country. Like, you know, it was a big deal to throw that hard. Now you can go to, you know, most high school leagues and you're going to find someone who's in the upper eighties. Um, so we've gotten really good at training athletes but training and performing are two different things. Um, and one of the cool things at D3 is like, we're going to have probably the biggest range of velocity on our teams of like any level, right? I have a kid on my team that throws 75 miles an hour and a kid on my team that throws 95 miles an hour. And they are both college baseball players on a good college team. And who will perform better? Right. I think depends on a lot of other factors. Um, and it's just not as simple as like following the track man data to say, like, oh, these pitches are good. We've trained this athlete to throw hard and spin the ball. Well, we just plug them into a game and they will be good in the game. Um, you know, my assistant is 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 great, but you know, he's he's a young guy and I think well versed in the data, and he'll he'll look at a you know track man plot and be like, Oh, it's a good slider. Be like, you're looking at a screen, man. Like, what's the context for that pitch in a game? Right? Is it in the zone? Did the hitter swing at it? Like, does he throw anything else for strikes? Like, what percent of the time does it move that way? Like, sure, I would much rather have a guy have like better stuff than than no stuff, right? So stuff is valuable, but there's that whole range in the middle of like good enough stuff. And then it's how do you use it? right? And the context with which you use it and how competitive you are. Um, 
you know, th- those are, those are the pieces that I think as a coach, you're trying to like get out of your players, right? How do I get the most out of this player? Here's his potential based on TrackMan blast hit, whatever you got. And then can I get them to play at that level consistently? And then can I get them to improve, you know, each year, what do they need to focus on to improve? Um, how do I, you know, prevent them from getting in their own way? You know, I've had players where I've literally said to them like, Hey man, you will be in the lineup every day unless you are mean to yourself. And then like one series in, I'm like, I got to pull you. Like, I can just see you right now, the way you're talking to yourself, like you're not being nice to yourself. Like you're not useful to me. You're not useful to your teammates. So it has nothing to do with how good they are. It's like, you just got to work on the mental side of things and letting, letting failure go. Um, and I think that's what makes like the complex problems of like humans. So, so fun and coaching. So fun. We're not going to have a, you know, anytime soon, I don't think uh, AI come in and, and solve some of these problems for us. So I think there's always going to be that aspect of of needing, you know, coaches and, and leaders to kind of manage and, and direct and frame and, and coach. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think I could have this conversation with you for probably the next three hours. Um, <clears throat> but I like I, I you're dead right. I, you know, and Andy and I did talk about this before we came on with you. Like, you know, I used to have to tell our guys like, you, you know, when RPI structure a little differently. Like you have test weeks where you just like my guys would have, you know, three hour test blocks for all their classes in one week and they just get smoked because they like, you know, they're, they're up stud, they're up late studying. They're all in like, you know, I would try to ramp up practice a little bit and it would be awful. And finally, like, as I got older, I was like, if we're in a test week, like, and three quarters of this team is getting torched in class, like, let me know, like, I will dial this back. If you have to take the day off to study, like go do that because whatever, like you're coming here and like, it's actually a detriment. And to your point, like, you know, I think when you're in the high academic world a little bit, like you're right, like they're, they want to be unbelievable at academics and they want to be unbelievable at baseball. So, and, and eventually something's going to give and, and figuring that out as you go is, is tough. And I think if you're, if you're a student athlete, who's either in college or you're thinking about doing it, like you need to understand that like you can only do so much. regardless of what you're doing and you have social stuff, like there's a lot of things that are going on during that time frame. Like you need to be able to take the time to, you know, at least have a conversation. Like no one, I've never met a coach who's going to be like, yeah, like, you know, no, you can't, you can't take time off to get better grades for this one (laughs) practice. Like it's, you're going to be okay. You know, and I I think actually I have a theory and I'm going to digress for a second, but I have a theory that they're like, we've gotten very good at pitching or excuse me, we've gotten good at training, especially from a pitching standpoint. And I think sometimes to your point, like looking at TrackMan stuff and sliders, like I think sometimes guys have like really good stuff, but I think sometimes depending on your level and really wherever, like you're not really facing unbelievable hitters all the time. So your stuff like, yeah, it might be good. It might be swing and miss, but if it's never in the zone, like the hitters that aren't that great aren't swinging at it. So you're just throwing more balls. And I, like, I, I have a very, I've, I developed this theory a, a couple of years ago, but it's, we're not going to, we're not going to get into that tonight. But I, I, when you said that, I was like, ah, there was my theory right there. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I think it's interesting. Like, you know, it, it is, is like, you have to take into account for the, the, the kids and the kids have to recognize that themselves. And I think sometimes it takes having the adult to be like, Hey, like you need some time, you need 12 hours off 
from baseball to go do X, Y, and Z so that you can come back and be, you know, the better baseball player or, you know, whatever it is, like get out of the weight room for a day because you've listed for nine straight days, yeah. uh, you know, because it's, it's tough. Like, and I, I think it's not, we speak about it because we're at the high, like I was, you are at the high academic level, like, but I imagine that this is an issue at other places too. Right. Like you're, you have kids that are going to try to do everything it is that they can possibly do in every endeavor to be really good at everything. And you just can't, it's not, it's not a sustainable thing that you're going to be able to handle. Yep. For sure. Um, Those, Those soft skills that you mentioned, Mike, I think it's really interesting being able to communicate with guys, having a feel for some of the cues that you might pick up that, Hey, a kid is worn down or a kid's beating himself up and he shouldn't be. And that was probably one of the things that I wish I knew a lot earlier in my coaching career. And it took walking into a a very talented team to realize like, sometimes you just need to get to know people before you try to coach them. Mm. Cause you got to learn how to communicate with them. Cause I'm sure you, you deal with that Middlebury. You got some guys who react really well with very direct this is what you're going to do and you're going to go do it. And then some other kids, you need to speak with them in a different tone. You need to talk to them and not coach them. You need to pat them on the butt more than you tell them what they need to do. And getting to, getting to know kids, I think is you're, you're talking about not replacing AI. Like that's the soft skill that can make a difference with the trust factor that a kid has in you. When they recognize that you don't coach everybody the same way. You may hold everybody to the same standard because I'm sure, you know, at at Middlebury, you guys have a culture that you uphold and there's standards that you expect everybody to meet. But being able to recognize that the senior who's played 90 games for you, you might, you're probably going to coach him a little bit different than the freshman who's in a little bit of a slump 12 games into his career. And uh, I think. It doesn't really have anything to do with recruiting, but, you know, as a, as a former coach and, you know, I know leadership is a big part of what you do. Um, I just think that's an interesting thing to touch on and something that uh, I think is really valuable for people to hear. Yeah. I mean, I think for, for athletes, I think it's, it's one of the most like critical parts of playing a sport, right? It's like, you're, you're going to fail. You're going to like have times when you are, are challenged and face adversity and have to respond to it. Um, and, and for all of us that that's hard, right. There's not a person on the planet who like gets excited about striking out. Right. So like, you know what you wanted to do in that situation. Right. So it's like, how are you going to like, take that at bat and, and make it a learning opportunity or respond to it in a positive way and, and, and control kind of the things that are under your control to use like a super cliche, you know, control the controllables thing. Um, you know, but I think on, on the soft skill things, one of the things that has changed a lot for me as a coach is like you can you can start with the assumption that like anything that a player does, any behavior that maybe seems out of whack with your team standards is, is coming from a place of like they're actually trying to do the wrong thing. Like they're trying to like skirt the rules or like get away with something 
Or you could flip that assumption and be like, I'm going to start with the assumption that you all want to do the right thing, right? That you're trying to be in the right place. And that sometimes like there's something that causes you to, to screw up. Um, and I'll never forget it. Like, I think I was bad at that when I was at Bates. I think I was very, very much like a high control coach. Like things need to be done with discipline and structure because if they aren't, we are somehow going to like fail to perform at a high level. And that will be my fault, right? That was like my own anxiety and fear as a coach. And I, I remember like my first year at, at Middlebury, we're doing like an indoor scrimmage and, you know, player hits a ground ball to shortstop and kind of like, you know, gives half, half effort down the line. Um, and, and I went up to him and was like, Hey, I just need you to know what I saw right here. It, I, I think you can give me more and I'm not seeing much. He's like, coach, I'm just totally out of it today. My grandmother just died. And I just like, feel like I'm not even here right now. So I could have re reacted and been like, come on, we got to give a better effort, you know, start running. Like what the heck, you know? Um, and, you know, instead taking that moment to be like, all right, here's what I'm seeing. Let me communicate to this player what I'm seeing. And, and then let me respond, you know? The funny part of it of it is like, you know, one of my favorite players, right, who, you know, is is still, you know, playing in their college career. There's definitely a time where they did jog down the line and the response was just, you know, real clear. Hey, keep running. Right. You didn't want to run through first. Just start running around the track so you can actually keep running. Um, and it was like super appropriate because this player and I had had many a conversation about kind of like what my expectations were, their failure to do it. Um, and I'm like tremendously proud of this kid, like for all how hard they worked and what, you know, they've gotten through, um, to be a really good player, but it, you know, lend itself to a pretty funny story that I think we, we tell on our team quite often about the, the time that he was told to just keep running. But, um, you know, that, that react versus respond as a coach that always like looking at things with a critical lens of being like, all right, here's what I'm seeing. It, why am I seeing this? Where is this coming from? Um, you know, th those are things that I think that I've worked really hard on as a coach and things that I, that I try to do really well. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's ongoing. It's always hard that balance between holding people accountable to standards and having that like, you know, firm response, which I think is needed at times. And then also having that level of like compassion to be like, look, there are times that all of us need just like, you know, someone to put their arm around us or just talk to us or check in. Um, there's situations for both and it's not always like as obvious who needs what, when, <laughs> you know, uh, sometimes you might, you know, put their arm around them because you think that they're really down and they're wishing like, you know what, like stop being so nice to me. Just, you know, this might be the time where you tell me that I, I suck right now and I need to be better. And that's actually what I need. Um, but it's it's the fun again another fun part about coaching. Yeah, it's probably it might be the thing I miss the most. I always like practice. I mean, the games for me were for the guys, but those interactions, getting to know the kids, like that's probably the stuff that you know you're you know you're you're reflecting on it now, and it, it's obviously something that matters and, and means a lot to you, and it's something that you take very seriously. Um, you know, to be able to look in the mirror and and continuously make adjustments to how you communicate and what you're communicating. Like that's uh, uh, something that we can all learn from. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Those, those moments in the office, I think that's where you start to build that trust, right? That's what makes it easy to like work with somebody on the physical parts of the game. Like they, they have, they have to trust you. And um, you know, I think early on it was nice to be like, Oh, trust me. Cause I 
I played at a pretty good level. Now my guys are like, coach, you played back when like catchers didn't catch on a knee. Like, did you use like the the glove with like the pillow that they have in Cooperstown? Is that the kind of glove you use? So uh, I think you lose that credibility quickly where it's like, trust me because I played. And now it's like, trust me because like, I care about you and we have a relationship and here, here's, you know, why I want to coach you, uh, I think that becomes, you know, where things happen. And that's in all those little conversations you have. My favorite was always the coach, what was it like to swing the BESR bats? Yeah. Uh, we didn't call them that. I, I don't like, they were just, that's what we swung. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't play in the BB core era, so I can't really compare <clears throat> any of them. So, uh, but yes, I'd, you lose that credibility pretty quickly. <laughs> We've talked about it on here. Like, I don't know. And, and you kind of mentioned it earlier. Like when we played, if someone threw 90, like you were like, Ooh, this dude's throwing nitro. Like, yeah. You know, I don't know. I, I don't know if I would have been a division one baseball player in 2022, 2023, whatever, you know, I don't know. Like maybe I am, maybe I'm not, but it's it like, it's changed so much. It's, it, it, it is a drastically different game you know, for the most part, from a, a skill set standpoint, than I, then, you know, what we were used to, you still have to be good to play, but you know what I'm driving at. Uh, I mean, a hundred percent. I've seen, I've seen a huge difference just in the last, you know, five to six years, just, just at, at the division three level. I, again, I just think you have more, more knowledge out there. And I think people that have really like invested in the training piece, you can see just a huge jump and just, you know, the skill set. Plus, I mean, you've got all these factors and you guys are in this world as much as I am. I think it's never been harder, certainly never been harder to play professional baseball. Like you've contracted minor leagues, like you have less rounds of the draft. It's never been harder to play division one baseball, right? Cause you've just got like grad years and COVID years and, and red shirt years and transfer portal. And you have all this stuff happening there. So it's certainly impacted, you know, on down, and I think you've seen kind of an infusion of, of talent at at all levels. And baseball is unique. I was I was talking with you know to to a basketball coach just about like you know players who are recruited and the difference between you know a Division three recruit and Division one recruit. And like you're going to have two six foot one righties who are eighty six to eighty eight, and one of them might throw ninety five and be like a draft pick, and one of them is going to be you know in his eighty six eighty eight bullpen arm at it whatever level school you just never really know who's going to develop at, at what rate it, there's very few of the like no doubt can't miss players at 15 16 17 you just get all of these players that are like they're all college level players and i have no idea who's going to turn into what um it's it's like a really interesting landscape no, it is. And I think the other thing that at least that I noticed is the physicality at the division three level over the last five years was, was a big difference from, you know, my first five years in division three, like the guys that we were getting to campus were coming in and they were a lot more physical from a, a weight room and, and weight standpoint than the guys that we were recruiting, you know, five years prior. Um, you know, and I think it was a little bit, you know, for us, it was a little bit of a struggle with, you know, some of our strength stuff that we had going on. Cause it was like, you know, we had guys coming in that were, like I said, pretty physical. And then it was like, Hey, your form on deadlift isn't what I want. So go lift a PVC pipe in the corner for three months. And like, and it's like, I mean, I get what we're driving at, but like it, it like we're alienating that section of the team based off of, you know, a minor form tweak, like, 
you know, these kids are coming in having spent a lot more time in the weight room than, you know, I, I know I did. And, and I can't speak for you guys. Like, I mean, I lifted, but not nearly what, what guys did. Like when I got in the weight room when I was in college, it was a, it was a little bit of a shock. Like I, you know, I was lifting twice a week or what, three times a week. Like all of a sudden it's three, four, five, six times. And it's a, a far different workout. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and that training aspect, I think, has obviously trickled down into, you know, the high school level. So you're getting guys that are coming into college that have been in the weight room at an advanced rate before they even get to college. Um, you know, I just found that the, the physicality at the Division three level is is a lot is a lot higher than it was, you know, in my previous five years, you know, when I was the assistant at RPI versus when I became the head coach. Like, it was a noticeable difference, not, not just at – RPI, obviously, across the Division Three landscape, like there's some physical dudes. I mean, you had one that is, you know, moving on to BC who hit a ball about 7,000 feet at RPI. Like, I mean, he is a physical dude. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. like, you watch him, you look him in a uniform, you're like, ah, that's a grown man. And, and I'm talking when he was a sophomore, like that is a grown man in a uniform playing Division Three baseball. Like that's, that is a big dude. For sure. And I mean, he's, he's a cool story. I mean, I think we've got a couple of guys like that. I think he had to, again, grow up. I mean, he was very much a division three recruit because he was kind of the classic could run into a ball and demonstrate some power occasionally, but showed a whole lot of swing and miss, I think had some arm strength, but there was a lot of question on like the, the level of commitment and focus behind the plate, you know? So I think you had division ones that doubted if those things would translate and all to his credit, just working really hard in the weight room, becoming a better player, like buying in. Um, and I think for him also really aligning himself with some other players in our program that I think worked really hard and, and had high goals. Um, but I always say to guys, like I, you're the one that's got to do the work, right? Like, and you, and I can't make you want to do it. I can't, you know, create kind of that drive for you. Um, but John's a really good example of someone who I think, you know, became the player he was, but didn't start that way. And, and I think could have had a choice to just kind of be the kid who would occasionally run into a ball and, you know, have a whole lot of swing and miss or, or, or really buy in and, and train and, um, you know, I think I'm I'm proud of him for that work. And I'm I'm even prouder of like the program that we have. Cause I think that had he not had peers, he would have been like the one dude who's like, well, I'm really focused. What's wrong with the rest of you? Like I, I'm the only one doing this. Um, and I think instead it was very much like a, Oh shit. If I don't do this, I'm going to be like the one guy who's not. Yeah. It's amazing how that works when you've got some leaders, You've got some guys who set the standard, how quickly that can trickle down. And then all of a sudden you've got a pretty big group of guys that are holding up their end of the bargain and they bring guys along with them organically. Yeah. Because eventually if you decide that you're not going to do and you're not going to meet the standard, then, you know, not that you become an outcast, but, you know, eventually, you know, guys who do that in a good program tend to find themselves not in the program. Um, because they won't be a fit and you know to your point around fit and culture like leadership it, i mean i've seen it in both directions with really high-end leaders who can quietly hold people to an incredible standard and as a coach you 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 put your head on the pillow every night knowing they're like i don't have to say that much because mm. there's some people in the locker room that 
have earned the respect of everybody else that they don't even really have to say anything to get people to follow them. They just do. And everybody falls in line, not, and not because they have to, but because they want to. Um, and then yeah. I've watched those guys leave the program and tangibly be able to feel the void in the locker room and have the conversation in the clubhouse with, with Murph and case. And all three of us are looking at each other going, this isn't going to be a talent issue. This is going to be a leadership issue. And we need somebody to fill that void. Um, yeah. And that's an interesting thing to to handle as a coach because you want somebody to step up, but you can't force them. Um, they kind of I, have to grow into that role. Yeah. And I mean, I know we're, you know, recruiting is kind of the backdrop to all this. And, and I have recruited multiple people because of leadership potential, right? And, and I've recruited you know, one player in particular who like was in and out of our lineup, I don't think was ever like our best player, but, you know, was talking about him the other day and was like, I would have recruited him 10 times out of 10 because of the type of kid he is and what he did, you know, um, with, with the team and the way that he led. And, um, I almost every single class or someone that we have identified as like, look, we, we think this is a potential captain. Um, and I think there are times you recruited a little harder than others because you're like projecting where your team's at. Like, man, our leaders are awesome right now, but crap. What happens when they leave? <laughs> um, who's going to follow them? Who's going to take over? And it, you're constantly building. And, and I think when we when we've done, you know, I, I'm happy with some of the players we've recruited because I think they've been able to step in those roles. Um, much like we hoped we, they would. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I think um, a lot of times the recruiting stuff goes to the very tangible items. How fast do you run? How hard do you throw? And like, obviously that's important. You can't take somebody just because they're uh, a really good person. They do need to be able to play. They do need to be able to compete at a really high level. But I think it's important for for parents and players to hear that there's a piece of this process that is really important. Um, how you act how you communicate with people, how you communicate with mom and dad. You know, I know we've, we've talked about this. So when you go watch a kid play um, and you can see how they interact with mom and dad, you can see how they interact with coaches. You can see how they interact with their teammates. And that tells you a lot about who they are or who they could be. Um, sometimes you see potential and sometimes you see red flags and um, how you handle yourself and how you interact with other people um, says a lot about, what your future holds when you get into an environment where everybody's pulling in the same direction um, and you're all trying to win games and you're trying to win the NESCAC and you're trying to go to an NCAA tournament that you know you don't really have time for the individual. Um, you need a group of individuals. You need a group of individuals who come together for something that's a little bit bigger than themselves. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. The last question we ask everybody, Mike, is if you could give, a couple pieces of advice to kids as they go through the recruiting process, what would, what would they be? Yeah. I mean, I think the first, the first piece of advice that I, that I answer this question with is, is look in the mirror and just honestly answer, why do you want to play college baseball? And then define what college baseball is to you. What is your understanding of college baseball? Um, one of our, our team mantras is always be different, right? So, so we talk about what, what that means. And, 
there's a degree of like what you're going to have to do. That's like really hard and just not fun and not easy and not what everyone else wants to do to play college baseball. And, and I think that if you can honestly look in the mirror and be like, yeah, I'm choosing this because I want that. It's not the idea of it. It's not the like, how many followers do I have on social media or which commitment can I post and get the most likes and kind of raise the most eyebrows and, and get the recognition that comes from like that, um, you know, that effect, but just that honest look in the mirror of like, why do I want this? And what am I willing to do to, to earn this? Um, I think is, is step one. Um, and then step two, I would just, you know, say like, it's so cliche, but like, I, I do think like choosing a school that you'd be happy at regardless of baseball, um, ultimately allows you to perform at the highest level you can as a baseball player. Right. I think there are some students who are a little bit of a chameleon and like, I can be happy in any environment. I can be happy at a commuter school. I can be happy at a city school. I can be happy at a rural school in the middle of nowhere. And like, maybe they're just super, um, adaptable and, and that's just kind of who they are. But I think there are others that just like need to, again, more honestly assess what do I want from this experience? You know, what, what is this school going to provide from an environment that will allow me to thrive as a person, as a student? Because at the end of the day, you're then going to be that same person and student trying to go perform and play and compete. And if you are, you know, hating every minute of being in that place, I can't just insulate you from the school and hope that you're going to play baseball really well. And I think, that happens a lot in the recruiting process when a school kind of checks whatever box and has, you know, the, the impression that it's going to be a perfect fit because of the level or, you know, maybe something I saw uh, on social media about like the coach or I have a buddy who went there and then there's just a complete mismatch of, of who you are and what you're looking for. Um, so I think really just be super intentional about like, would I thrive at this place academically and socially? Um, and then I think, you know, that the last piece of advice that I would say is just like, don't um, undervalue like the impact that your coaches are going to have on you. I think that's going to be, you know, among the biggest um, forces during, during your four years, you know, it's certainly going to be one of your strongest relationships. It's going to be, you know, the person that you spend the most time kind of with a person who can guides that, that baseball experience, which is so important to you, right. Which is why you're playing. Um, what are they going to be like as, as a leader, as a mentor, as a coach, what do they value? Um, because again, I think in the recruiting process, it could become very easy to kind of fall in love with the name of a school or the person recruiting me, or the reason I'm tied up in that school is because, you know, this kid went there and I want to identify as the same level of talent. So it kind of affirms how good I am if I go to the same level as him. And people just don't do enough kind of behind the scenes work of, of one, looking in the mirror. Like, why do I want to play college baseball? What do I want out of this experience? What do I think it really is? Um, two, like, is the environment at this place, at this institution going to, you know, match my personal and academic goals? Um and then I think the third piece is, is certainly looking at that coach and, and value, valuing what their connection to me will be as, as a player and how do I think they will help me to grow um, and become the best baseball player I can be, the best person I can be. Like, am I better 
because of that experience playing for that coach. Um, and again, I think there's some nuance to it. Like some kids are like, I don't really know. And it doesn't really matter. Like I'm, I'm going to kind of adapt. Um, but I think you have to at least be able to like reflect on those things before the process. Cause you know, I have, I've seen too many players, you know, go places and have it not be what, what they thought it would be. Uh, and it's really, really tough to, you know, you probably deal with it. Like, make that decision to transfer and leave and start all over again. And, you know, do my classes transfer and like, all right, I got to go through new student orientation again. And I got to make new teammates. And like, um, you know, I think some of those things can be uh, prevented on the front end, I think by, by approaching the process differently. Really good advice. Really good advice. Um, anything yeah. you, else you want to add, Mike? No, I think, I think I filled, um, you know, a lot of your airtime and, and you know, really great for this conversation. As you can tell, I love to talk. So if you guys ever wanted just to like, you know, we're going to take the week off. Uh, Mike Leonard's going to take the mic and he's going to talk for the next <laughs> hour and a half. I am sure I could fill content for you. We might, uh, we might take you up on that. We, it's great having you on. Um, man, there's a lot to unpack. I hope some people take some time to listen to this. Um, ton of great advice, ton of great insight. Like you're such a thoughtful just a thought, such a thoughtful human. And I think it's one of the things that I appreciate more. Every time we get a chance to talk, I feel like I walk away from that conversation uh, a little wiser, a little bit more thoughtful. Um, so I can't thank you enough for your time. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Mike. All right. Follow us on social media, emdbaseball.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you next week.